Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Houston Texans Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy whatever day it is that you're listening to this podcast. Let's have a great day. Why the hell not? Joining me, as always, for these team previews, none other than the one, the only, six-time PFF All-Star, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, it's been a couple days since we talked, man. How the hell is it going? Man, I'm doing good. I picked up, I think, another All-Star you know, somewhere <laughs> along the way between, uh, you know, the three-day weekend. But, dude, I'm good. Uh, man, I've missed you, Ian. I got to say, I, too, I, 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 I've missed you. We didn't, we didn't have a pod yesterday, and uh, we coming off a three-day weekend. I think that's probably the longest time we haven't talked to each other in, uh, well, a bit, a bit. So. Bro, I spent the last two weekends in Wisconsin and then Georgia, like in out-of-the-way cabins with no Wi-Fi, no cell service. Wasn't able to watch USFL Live, which was just awfully painful, so I had to catch up on that. Wasn't able to, you know, just stay tuned in the news. And you know what, Dwayne? It was a good thing. I think it is good to take those breaks, go out there and touch some grass. But damn it, I'm happy to be back and I'm ready to talk some Houston it, Texans. I was going to try to beat you and be the first one to, taste, to say touch some grass. <laughs> and you get it, Never. you nail it, like right out of the gate. So Never. whatever, Never. you win. You win. With our usual team preview format, going to go through some of the coaching changes, offseason moves before we run through the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end rooms. And with that, let's get going. Looking at our 2022 Houston Texans, moving on to Lovey Smith, who spent last year as the associate head coach and defensive coordinator in place of David Culley. You know, when Culley got cut, a lot of people in the fan football community were just basically like, what the hell? Why? He was 4-13 and on a team that did not want to win. And to be fair, like this Texans team was playing a lot harder than a lot of the other bad teams in the NFL. At the same time, maybe went a little bit overboard. I don't think there is necessarily anything to really think he's the next big thing. Either way, we are now with Lovey Smith, who most recently posted a pretty freaking brutal 17-39 and record at Illinois, never finished at or above 500 even once. But focusing specifically on the offense, last season's offensive, offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly, now the, now the excuse me, now he's coaching with the Tennessee Titans, and that leaves 2021 quarterbacks coach slash passing game coordinator, Pep Hamilton, to lead this offense. Pep was on this team last year, again, as was Lovey Smith, but he hasn't actually been the only guy in charge of running an NFL. NFL offense since 2015 deserves some credit for helping mold Andrew Luck more recently Justin Herbert over the years and Dwayne just looking at his last numbers with Lovey Smith when they were together with the Bears from 2007 to 2009 I'm optimistic that this offense could trend uh, trend a little bit closer to average maybe even above average in terms of their passing volume during those seasons with the Bears this was the league's 10th 14th and 8th ranked offense in terms of total pass attempts last year they ranked just 24th in pass play rate in in a excluding garbage time situations. Also the 10th slowest moving offense in situation neutral pace. So I don't think Dwayne, they're going to go from like 24th to fifth or anything like that, but at a minimum, I think we can see this Texans offense again, get closer to league average in terms of both pass play rate and hopefully pace as well. One can only dream Ian. One can only (laughs) dream. I I think a lot of it does come down to quarterback play. I mean, we we know with Lovey Smith, you know, being a defensive minded, you know, head coach, um, like they're going to lean to the side of, you know, trying to control all the, it, you know, just trying to win, you know, by not turning the ball over all that kind of stuff. And when you look at the Texans, you know, their roster overall, like it's probably not the worst strategy. I don't know how many <laughs> shootouts are going to win with their offense, which we'll, we'll talk more about the skill positions here in a minute. Um, but yeah, I think there's a chance, right? I think a lot of it comes down to Davis Mills, right? Can he take a, a slight step forward if he can 
then that opens a lot of doors for the rest of the offense. I mean, just whenever you look last year, last year though, I mean, um, trailing by four or more points, uh, 48% of the time, the NFL average is 38% of plays. Um, they were close only thir- so within three points, only 30% of the time, the NFL average is 35%. Um, they led only 22% of the time, the NFL average is 27%, and that's leading by four or more points. So um, game scripts were, ter- were pretty terrible, <laughs> you know, last year for the Texans um, in general. So we'll, we'll see. Look, Vegas doesn't think much about them, you know, this year either, right? Whenever we really yeah. look at their projected wins, like they're in the, ver- they're in the bottom of the league. So uh, I think there's they could be forced to pass maybe more than what Lovey wants them to. Um, you know, last year I will say that, uh, and again, different coaching staff, but Smith is, you know, returning, you know, he was the DC last year, but last year in close games, they threw the ball. So within three points, 54% of the time, the league average is 60%. So I think when the games are close, you'll probably see something similar to that, but how often will they be able to keep the game close? I don't, I don't think we can really, um, project that to be something that's going to happen often. You know, it's a team that we don't think is going to win many games. And it seems like the Texans are once again content with that. I mean, again, I think that's what made the David Culley firing as controversial as it was because if you look at the free agent acquisitions and even the draft picks they made over the last two years like if any if anyone truly in the Texans organization like entered either last year or this year thinking that this was going to be a great offense like I want whatever they were smoking because my god the amount of just veteran running back wide receivers that this team has added in free agency it's literally like your 2017 late round sleeper like fantasy lineup I mean we'll get to some of these guys from this year but last year man Danny Amendola Dante Moncrief like just the running back room is absolutely asinine at times. So with all that in mind, let's go through the big personnel moves. Obviously, number one was trading Deshaun Watson to the Cleveland Browns. Got first round picks in 2022, 23 and 24, along with the 23 third rounder and 22 and 24 fourth round selections. Obviously, Watson, anyone's idea of a top 10, maybe even top five real life quarterback. We'll see what goes on with that ongoing legal investigation, though. Also, Tyrod Taylor, last season's week one starter, now with the New York Giants and will serve as Daniel Jones' backup ahead of next year, replaced by Kyle Allen, signed a one-year $2.5 million deal, presumably to work as Davis Mills' backup in 2022. The big question here, Dwayne, is are the Texans done adding to this quarterback room? Because we have seen them floated around in rumors for Baker Mayfield and for Jimmy Garoppolo. However, Baker seems, I mean, based on the latest reports, it is looking like maybe the Browns try to hold on to him. We'll see how long Deshaun Watson's going to be suspended. But, you know, if that Girl Scout walks up to uh, the Cleveland Browns organization and says, do you want to start Baker or Jacoby Brissett for next year? Hey, I think it would probably be Baker. And for Baker personally, man, like what's his best route? to kind of getting his value back on track probably leading the Browns to some sort of success this year if he hasn't already burnt that bridge and then with Jimmy G it sounds like just the entire trade market on him is just dependent on his recovery from shoulder injury I mean we literally have Kyle Shanahan saying the plan is to trade Jimmy Garoppolo this is not some beat report that we're just wondering what's going to happen when the head coach is openly saying which is weird like is that a really good way to get value but, but I mean I don't know I mean Isn't that like, can we stop with the Jimmy G versus Trey Lance? Like week one debate. It's Kyle Shanahan. It it does sound like that's over. Unless, unless Kyle Shanahan is trying to drive down the value of Jimmy Garoppolo so much in the trade market by just throwing stuff. Yeah, we're going to have to trade him. We're going to have to give him away. They're trying to drive down the value so much that there's just an offer that Lynch can't accept. And Kyle Shanahan gets to keep Jimmy G. That's the galaxy brain way of looking at it, Ian. Put the bong down, Dwayne. This is <laughs> Okay, but looking at, seriously though, Davis Mills, 
What do you think the chances are that he is the week one starter and this room doesn't change? Because right now, it's a little bit better, I think, than it was, say, three months ago. I mean, for them to make it through the whole draft and not add another quarterback was interesting, to say the least. Again, though, if we had to look at the teams, the most likely trade partners, I do think they're the Texans and the Panthers. 95% is what I would say. I, I, I don't know why the Texans would want anything to do with Jimmy G or Baker. They're not going to change your team. Yeah. They're not going to take a team that has a lot of holes in it, right, and all of a sudden going to make it better, right? Those are bus driver quarterbacks at this at this stage. Not saying either one of them couldn't have a flash kind of flash efficiency year, right, in the right offense. In, in fact, we've seen both of them have those kind of years in the past. Um, but I just don't think they're the types that are going to carry this type of football club, right? So for me, if I'm the Texans, I just keep on. I, I want to see what I have in Davis Mills. Maybe he surprises us and he can be really good. Um, or he's not, and I have a really high draft pick, you know. Um, so I think that needs to be the route for the Texans, given all the holes they have. And I just don't see them making a big push uh, to maneuver and get one of those two uh, quarterbacks. Again, that's my thought. Like the way sometimes these NFL folks think. Like I mean, I don't know. Like it, they could totally go for it. I, I just it doesn't make sense to me. I think that's a pretty rational way of looking at it. On to the backfield. Marlon Mack signed a one-year, $2 million contract for the Texans. Just 250 k of that deal is guaranteed. Like, please, everyone. I know money isn't everything, but when you see a deal like this, like, spare me the idea that Marlon Mack is just going to waltz to the top of this depth chart with no competition. With that said, David Johnson remains an unrestricted free agent. They did go ahead and sign Dario Ogumbawale as well. God, I always nail that pronunciation. I just want to pat myself on the back for that. But anyway, two years, three <laughs> We got to pat ourselves con- on the back for at least one of those that we get right. <laughs> about, about to say, I get like one out of every 12, but we'll celebrate. It's okay, I'm with success. you. <laughs> Two-year, $3 million contract. This one has 550 k in guaranteed money, but, you know, that is just double what Mac has. And he has two years, so it makes sense. Basically spent the last two, three years with Tampa Bay and Jackson, both serving as their scat backs. But the hilarious part here, Dwayne, we also have Rex Burkhead in the backfield, but Andy Janovich, the fullback, one-year, $3.3 million deal with $2.5 million guaranteed. Their fullback, Andy Janovich, basically has more guaranteed money than nearly the rest of the backfield combined. What the absolute hell, Dwayne? We have a bunch of running backs here with almost no financial investment. And as we'll get to later, a fourth round pick in Damian Pierce. Like, and this is what I was talking about the organization just clearly not even giving a single shit about half of their offensive skill position groups. Like, how can you walk in with a straight face and like look your players in the eye and be like, yeah, here, here, here are the running backs you're going to war with? Why not? Gonna establish it, Ian. Often, offensive linemen and fullbacks, I guess, matter more than the backs themselves. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but, hey, it does tell us that they're, they're, they're prepared when they can to try to run the ball, right? I mean, how many teams really spend that money on the fullback? You know, you got a handful in the league. And so now uh, Houston is one of those. Um, Andy Janovich may have some games where he gets like two snaps and they're already going to be down 14. <laughs> so we'll see. One notable wide receiver move is that Danny Amendola remains an unrestricted free agent. I think the craziest thing I uncovered in this entire preview that I wrote, and you can find on pff.com, was that last year, in week 18, Danny Amendola had seven catches for 113 yards and two touchdowns, Dwayne. Now, I'm sure there's like a DFS champion out there that is well aware of what Amendola was able to put on film in week 18, but that just shocked me. Maybe it's just a conspiracy. Didn't didn't Levitan have him in his 200K lineup? I'm pretty sure he had Burkhead in there. No, not Burkhead. Danny oh, Amendola. Amendola. Sorry, I'm thinking Burkhead. Yeah, he, uh, yeah. yeah. Levitan had Burkhead in. Yeah, sorry. So you know, I'm same, same thing, I, same thing. 
I'm not trying to be too contrarian, but like, I just don't believe that game happened for Danny Amendola. If no one else saw it happen, I think we can all just move forward pretending like it didn't. So with that important, you know, side note out of the way, tight end Jordan Aikens also out of the picture after signing with the Giants. Couple notable draft picks. Second round Alabama wide receiver John Mechie added to the fold. Would expect him to be the number two pass game option as soon as he's ready to go. We'll see when that happens, though. Did suffer that ACL tear during the SEC championship. Fingers crossed that he gets out there. A little bit on the small side, but, you know, does look like one of those route running technicians who can just basically fit into any offense. Also took Florida running back Damian Pierce in the fourth round and tight end Tegan Quintoriano in the sixth. There we go. Basically with these guys, obviously looking a lot more at Pierce than your typical day three running back because of how soft this depth chart is. We'll get to that more in a second. As far as Tegan goes with tight end, this was an offense last year that was regularly using three, sometimes even four tight ends during the course of any given week. It's good that Aikens is out of the picture, but still not exactly expecting any one tight end to go ahead and take over. So Dwayne, with that said, let's go ahead and get into the position groups. Starting off with the quarterback, Davis Mills, really, I think, objectively was the second-best rookie quarterback last season. The problem was it was Mac Jones, who the best and basically an average quarterback if you want to take away the rookie designation, but even the second-best rookie quarterback, still a pretty damn bad quarterback. PFF passing grade, Mills ranked 34th among 45 qualified quarterbacks. He was 24th in QB rating, 22nd big-time throw rate, 34th turnover-worthy play rate, 31st in yards per attempt, and 23rd in adjusted completion rate. So put some decent throws on film. I could make a better highlight film of Davis Mills than Tua last year, believe it or not. And there just wasn't much help. PFF grade and pass blocking, 23rd. Receiving, 22nd. Rushing, 32nd. Even the passing grade, 28th. I guess the question, though, Dwayne, we've talked about the potential for Jimmy G or Baker, and I'm with you. As the closer we get in the season, it seems more and more likely that Mills will be their starter for 17 games. But, man, there's absolutely no rushing floor. He had 44 scoreless yards and 13 games on the ground, which is like hard that, hard to do to have that few yards and you're still starting that many games. And again, we just went through the offseason moves. Like, there's nobody here. Maybe Mechie, but he's injured already. So we have, once again, probably the single worst crop of skill position players in the league. If not the worst, then bottom five for sure. The offensive line is mediocre at best. And we have Davis Mills, who's like, his best case scenario is having like a Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr S season. So I don't really just think, I don't think there's a ceiling here to even worry about Dwayne. Maybe a streamer, maybe DFS guy in the right matchup. But Davis Mills, even though we saw some good stuff as a rookie, it's just, you, we need so many things to go right for him to be on the fantasy grid in a major way in 2022. Yeah, he's just he's for super flex leagues. I mean, that's really what what Mills is going to be for. You know, he he could he's a low end QB two in super flex leagues, preferably still your QB three. But I think you know you can throw him in the low end QB you know two bucket. But to your point, there's just there's not there's not many options for him to go to. Maybe Mechie gets healthier as the season goes on. You know, if Nico Collins were to take a step forward, but see now we're already like to these two big ifs, right? What's the likelihood that both of those guys end up outproducing expectations? I do like Brevin Jordan. So, I mean, there's some pieces that, you know, like I'm intrigued by, but to your point, like nothing like that I'm like going to pound the table, you know, and say, oh my God, like he's got all of these great weapons. And, and to your point, just around his underlying metrics, like big time throw rate, 27 out of 32, turnover worthy plays, 24 out of 32 with a higher number being worse. On target, you know, percentage as far as accuracy, like he was average, but on third downs, 
you know, and it's tough to grade him. Like it's not like he had a lot of route in him last year either, but uh, 32 out of 32, um, positive graded pass plays, 29 out of 32, negative 22 out of 32, grade under pressure, 30 out of 32, grade from a clean pocket, like the most sticky thing we have, 22 out of 32. So even when everything's really working right, you know, it's to your point, it's like he's average to below average. So I just, I'm with you. I, I know a lot of folks are out there kind of, I don't want to say a lot, but I've seen quite a few people like, you know, thinking that Mills might have something. And and he really could. But the problem is, even if he all of a sudden magically um, shows us that he really is this solid quarterback, like, I mean, how far can he go with the surrounding cast? And I think, you know, you've really already answered it. Just it's not far. Credit to him last year. Four top 12 fantasy finishes. I mean, that's more than Daniel Jones, Tua, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. All those guys are going ahead. But I just think based on their superior surrounding cast, you know, really for each of those four guys and also in Jones and Lawrence and even Wilson's case, even Tua probably. Again, Mills might be like the, have the lowest rushing floor of any starting quarterback in the NFL. So really can't overstate how important that is. And yeah, just with nobody else in the offense. The one move I hope they make though, Dwayne, you know, I don't want to say all jokes aside because it is a joke, but let's get Mike Glennon in that quarterback room. The neck length on Mills and Glennon together, man, like giraffes <laughs> all around the world would be, be very Hanks. jealous. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Hanks. When he Merton bobbing Hanks. His, start bobbing his head. Oh, my oh, yeah. goodness, man. That was a hell of a start doing the, the chicken or the, the I forgot what he called that. I can't remember <laughs> what he used to call that dance, but it was it was uh, it was it was nice. I hated it because the, the 49ers and Cowboys were like always clashing. And then I had Merton hangs out there like jerking his head around like a chicken. Anyway, let's keep moving on. I always love the one day of the NFL season where everyone becomes infatuated with neck length. There's like neck length day on football Twitter one time a hand, year hand hand size day. Don't miss it. Of course. Of course. All right. Running back room. We've got Damian Pierce, fourth round pick Marlon Mack, Rex Burkhead, your week 17, week 16 hero from last year, Dario Gumbawale and Royce Freeman still in the squad. So last year, the offensive line did no favors. Dead last in yards before contact per carry at just 0.7. With that said, I mean, they were 24th in yards after contact per rush. So the offensive line wasn't very good. Neither were the running backs. And yeah, Dwayne, like you mentioned, the Burkhead finish helped Levitan and a number of other people, including myself, in week 16. Overall, PPR RB3 finish. That was the only time all season that a Texans running back finished better than 20th in a single week. That's the sort of ceiling we were chasing with these Texans running backs. The answer, far more weeks than not, was simply no. But we did see Rex towards the end of the year actually have a couple games where he was the primary back. Early on in the year, man, like it was Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, Rex Burkhead, and David Johnson. A legit four-back committee and a terrible offense that would usually get too far behind to do much of anything. So basically, looking ahead to next year, the question is, do we want to throw a dice on Damian Pierce? Because we know Mac coming back from the Achilles was a shell of himself. I think it was like 3.6 yards per carry. Did not look like the same sort of guy that, you know, we can compliment early career Marlon Mack without it being an indictment on Jonathan Taylor. Like Marlon Mack put up some really good years in Indianapolis. Jonathan Taylor's better. But 2021, Marlon Mack was not that same guy. Burkhead's another year older. I believe he's 32 now. Dari's only been a scat back. Royce Freeman was there last year, wasn't able to carve out much of a role. So the question with Damian Pierce, Dwayne, comes down to, is he good enough to command a workload in a pretty wide open backfield, or are we chasing a running back that could never even take over the Florida Gators backfield because we spent so much damn time talking about these rookies this offseason, <laughs> and now we're looking at a likely committee piece and a terrible offense? Which one are we going with? 
Um, look, here's the way I look at it. You've got a young back. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of draft capital. No, he did not do, you know, he didn't take over a backfield in college. He did play in a pretty good collegiate program in Florida, right? We've seen guys um, not play, you know, that much at college and still come forward and be okay, you know, that come from big programs. So, I mean, I'm not, I wish he had those things, right? But those are part of his profile and that's what makes him, you know, a 10th round pick, right? Instead of like a seventh or a sixth round pick. What I am betting on though, is it is just a completely wide open depth chart, right? Marlon Mack, you know, best days are probably behind him. Could be wrong. Rex Burkhead, journeyman, jack of all trades. But if, if I had to put a chip on one player, Girl Scout comes to your door and says, Ian, you have to pick one player from the Texans backfield that you think, you know, if you had to put your chip on one, like which one's it going to be? And like, for me, it's going to be Pierce. It's the younger player, potentially more explosive. Um, so I just think, I'm just trying to not overthink it. You know, do I, do I know for sure that he's going to take over the backfield? No, but historically speaking, whenever you can get a back, um, usually ADP is pretty accurate on who the lead on the, who the lead back is going to be in these real ambiguous situations. So um, I'm fine getting Damian Pierce in the ninth, 10th, 11th round. You know, I don't want to, I'm not going to like draft him onto every single team that I have. But I can't imagine that there's really a situation in the league that sets up better, you know, for a rookie that doesn't have a lot of draft capital. Like there's just it's so soft, you know, um, and if he can play well in the passing game, that's going to be the key, man. He's got to be able to play in the passing game because the Texans are going to trail a lot. Um, and if that's a situation where he can't master that and that's going to be Rex Burkhead and then he has to share early downs with Marlon Mack like that. Yeah, you're never going to be able to use him. And that's in the range of outcomes. Right. That could very easily be what his rookie season looks like. So the thing I will be listening for, and who knows if we'll get it or not from the beat reporters, but I want to know, is he going to be able to be out there on passing downs? You know, are the coaches going to trust him? And if so, then I think, you know, he might be able to push for 45, 50% of the work. And then you got another two or three guys splitting up the other 50%. There are four draft eligible running backs with a 70 or higher PFF grade in rushing, receiving and pass blocking. Damian Pierce, Tyler Algier, Hassan Haskins, and something named Raheem Blackshear. I think he went to Vatek. No, no, no hate he towards did. Raheem. But Pierce, he has seemingly all the tools, but we haven't seen them all put together. And that was the area where he can improve in the PFF draft guide. Never played more than 23 snaps in a single game in college. That's the problem. And again, that draft capital really is no joke. Going all the way back to 2012, the only rookies to actually finish inside the top 24, not even top 12, top 24 PPR running backs that were not drafted inside the top three rounds. 2012 Alfred Morris, 2013 Zach Stacy, 2016 Jordan Howard, 2018 Philip Lindsay, and 2020 James Robinson. So Pierce does fit the prototype of those guys in terms of entering a soft depth chart. Seemingly has that three down ability, but man, it's just all theoretical. And Dwayne, for all those things to have to go right, I'm just going to take, like right now, looking at him on underdog. He's the RB40, like you said, going to middle of round 10. When I'm looking at guys like Ronald Jones, Rashad White, Michael Carter, Daryl Henderson, even like Tyler Algier. I just, I want to throw my chip in those other guys. I'm more confident in their role and I'm more confident in them actually being one injury away from a featured role. For all we know, Damian Pierce is going to be a committee back the entire season. Why not take a Rashad White who maybe he's not giving you the five, six points on a weekly basis, but my God, if Fournette gets hurt, that ceiling is unlike anything that Pierce has in his potential range of outcomes. Yeah, the ceiling is for sure. So, I mean, it just depends on what you're trying to do. But I think if, if you've got to pick which player has a more clear chance to just take over their backfield, it's clearly Pierce over everybody we just named. Maybe not Tyler Algier. Like, they're they're really close. Like, those two are close for me. Um, but I think they're the ones with the best chance. Like, Pierce, like, 
he could take over 60% of the backfield. Like the only way Rashad White does that is through an injury to, you know, Fournette. So it, it does depend on your roster construction. It depends on like what you're looking for at that point in the draft. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think, you know, that I'm just going to cast Pierce aside as being someone that I don't think can take over the backfield. I think that he, he could end up being just as valuable as Rashad White. I don't like the offense, you know, that he's in, but I mean, the depth chart is so soft. Like I, I just won't be surprised. Like if he's handling 60 to 65% of the work and he's catching a lot of balls like that, that's the key though. He's got to catch the balls. Like if you're just looking for pure upside, fine, you can go with Rashad white, but knowing what Tom Brady expects of these rookie, you know, running backs, I mean, Rashad white may never see the field, even if Leonard Fournette gets hurt. Like we just don't know, like all these guys, we could say the same questions about, um, but where I do agree with you is it's like, what profile are you looking for? You know, at that point. So I'm going to have plenty of exposure to Pierce just because historically speaking, you know, backfields where we're not sure who the starter is. If you've got a younger one that's going higher in ADP, usually it's right. Now, how, how right is it going to be? Meaning like how valuable is it going to be? I think that's the question. You know, I think we're, it's a pretty good chance that Pierce leads this backfield just by what percentage, by what margin, and to your point, like it's going to need to be a high margin to be somebody that you feel like you can start each week because it's a really bad team. We're a, a little bit different in terms of where we're ranking him with the running backs, and that's okay because I do think this running back range, though, is a pretty decent spot to target if you find yourself getting a lot of these wide receivers. Because right now, uh, the wide receivers are just coming off the board way quicker than the running backs, particularly over at Underdog. So if you actually look, like Damian Pierce is the RB40, the next closest guy to him is Tim Patrick, who's actually the wide receiver 59 coming off the board. So you got Patrick, you got Jacoby, you got a couple guys in that range that we're not out on, but... Once I think you start comparing the running backs in that spot to the wide receivers, it's another reason why loading up on wide receivers early might be the thing to do this year because we do kind of have, I think, a somewhat rare surplus of guys in that RB3, RB4 range where, no, they're not locked in, but they have, I think, some untapped upside that's a little bit greater than we're used nice to. Nice thing with Pierce, like over in the FFPC, like if he does manage to become good, and let's say like you're playing like, you know, Chiefs and Tennessee, you know, say you've got Chiefs and Tennessee players, like he does intersect with their schedules at the end of the season. And then you get the Jaguars in week 17. So not, not to like galaxy brain it too much. Um, but once you get to that range of those players, that's where I think you have to start considering like some of the other factors like, okay, how is my roster built? Which one makes the most sense with it? Again, not overthinking it. You don't want to go pick some player just because they got a certain matchup in week 17. That's two tiers below like the tier that you have a player available in. Uh, like I had a draft last night on the FFPC and that was my whole goal was like, okay, how do I construct a roster that, that I think is badass for weeks 15, 16 and 17 when I'm trying to win 500 grand, but I also think it's going to win this league. You know, I think it's going to win the $1,500 first and I'm not having to jump all, all over my tears. And Pierce was a guy that kind of stuck out to me as being a guy that, you know, you can take later and he does intersect with a lot of the other guys that I want to draft. So just something to keep in, in your mind. Obviously not interested in any of these other running backs, but Dwayne, I think you. I thought I think you were you, about to say obviously not interested in any of that analysis, Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> no, like look, I've I've kind of said my thing about the schedule. My, my my bigger issue with schedule analysis was I just didn't like the way the NFL kept rolling it out. Like just give us the freaking schedule. I was tired. Oh, I know. Of I'm messing with you, man. The constant middleman was something that the team account could just announce all on their own. <laughs> we wouldn't miss anything, but no, we need to have all these leaks that were right and wrong. And it's officially who the official. Hell knows. Yeah. Officially official. Yeah, my God, all that stuff. But Dwayne, with the Week 17 stuff, I mean, 
I'm seeing some of it on my timeline. Like it seems like it's people's first freaking priority entering these drafts. Oh, it's point. pushing. It's it's steaming ADPs, like especially over on underdog because come on, like man. and underdogs because really week seventeen is everything. You know, you got to get there, but then you're against four hundred something teams, and so I mean, I I agree. I think it's overthink at this point. Um, I think it's important, but it should be a secondary thing you're doing. You definitely want to be thinking about reverse engineering as you're building a team. But at the same time, you have to be getting quality players. So like last night, um, and, and we don't have to spend too much. I know this is a tangent. But last night, like I felt great about the roster I built while also thinking about those things. But I yeah. never once let those things be the dictating thing driving me. They were more like the tiebreaker, right? It's like, okay, like I could take these three players. This one, this one player intersects with somebody I already have on week 17, and it's a huge game. Okay, great. I'm going to take Mike Williams over Cortland Sutton. Because because of the matchup that I have in week seventeen, so and I have two guys right next to each other in the tier, I, but I do see people getting you know crazy with like how much they're trying to build out these teams and reverse engineer and and see my problem with some of this and we can move on, but no, let's how, how, this is fine. How, We're talking how, about the how, Texans. This yeah, I mean, how actionable is some of this? Like, thank we, you. What matchups do we even know at this point? Yeah, especially when you get away from like the easy ones, like the Chiefs versus the Bengals, right? You know, you no, know, it's Bills, Bills Bengals, Bills, right? Bills Bengals. Yeah, yeah when yeah, a fake freaking got... Joe Burrow because of one matchup against the Bills, that could easily just turn into a freaking shootout. All respect well, that's to what the people Bills are defense, gearing but... for it, right? People want that game, right? People are aiming for that game. I thought so I... I saw someone implying that you don't want the Bengals because of that tough Bills defense. Like that's no. the type of stuff that I want to stay the hell away from. No, people are saying they want that matchup. The other matchup they want on that week is uh, the chiefs and the and the broncos right um so i get those like if you show me hey there's two high quality offenses with really good quarterbacks and we know quarterbacks are usually pretty good year over year i'm fine with focusing on those things where it gets a little wild for me is when it's like well i've got atlanta playing against you know the giants that week you know and then that's like dictating my pick i'm like Come on, man. Like the, we're talking about the Falcons and the Giants. What chance is that game and actually going to be a shootout, period, right? That, if anything, it's probably a freaking game I want to avoid and have nothing to do with. So anyway, like that's where it kind of gets like off track for me. I just think our ability to discern defensive performance in the first place is pretty damn weak. Like that's the, where the ideology of like defense doesn't matter comes into. Obviously defense matters, but our ability to figure out how it's going to matter in terms of fantasy points is really off because matchups are always flowing. We can't predict injuries and you know, there can just be a shootout where it's not, not really on the defense as much, but like you look at it last year and we can say, Oh, look at that chiefs Bengals shootout from last year. Look at the way the Seahawks beat the shit out of the lions, you know, then we have the 49ers scoring 23 points against the Texans. How about that Cardinals-Cowboys shootout, Dwayne? 25 to 22. Like, show me some analysis on the fact that this is, like, actually going to work or try to show me anything about our ability to predict defensive performance for the freaking second last week of the season. So that's, I guess, where my problem comes into it because as someone that, again, I've done wide receiver cornerback matchups for five straight years, and my biggest kind of takeaway from that is – Really, I think you put yourself in a hole when you overweight the matchups and stuff, when you overweight strength of schedule. Again, as a backup, I'd say as your third or fourth priority, it's okay. You can start to look at that, but man. I could care less about defensive strength of schedule. I am a believer that if I know I have Patrick Mahomes against Joe Burrow, like, I mean, look, just by studying, you know, Vegas lines, we know the way they set them. A, A ton of it's based on the quarterbacks, right? 
you know, so typically when you have really good quarterbacks play, it doesn't always work, but you're more likely to get a big score than when you have two crappy quarterbacks play. Like that's just, so if, if people want to bet like on the big offenses going up against one another, I'm actually more on board with that. If anyone is trying to say that like, Hey, because of strength of schedule versus a defense, unless you're talking about like extreme edges of, of defenses, you know, are going to be absolutely terrible. Right. Um, and there's probably like three or four of them that we can name in the league. And it's only those three or four, you know, you might look at something like that. Like the jets have kind of a crazy easy schedule. It looks like right now, like over those last few games uh, against really defenses that were absolutely terrible last year, not just bad, like terrible. Um, but overall, I think it's more about like, can you find the quarterback matchups and can you build, you know, a game stack with that is where most people are going. I will say historically, the second divisional game usually does not bring out the best in players. It was more of a DFS study looking at their salary implied total, but that would be my concern about Denver and Kansas City. And I don't know. I don't exactly think that January weather in Kansas City is a perfectly guaranteed, you know, offensive shootout environment. I hear the Bills and Bengals. Same thing in Cincinnati, though, Dwayne. Either of these games, what happens when we have four inches of snow implied in the freaking forecast? Where's my weather Twitter? Like, are we not considering the weather going on in weeks? 17 that matchup is one freaking part of it and for one like um man it just seems way way too much no you're right people are overweighting it i think it matters and i think we should be thinking about it but i think what happens in these sort of things um people because it's the new thing we're talking about people are overweighting it right everybody's excited to talk about it because it's this new topic right um, and, and because of that, you know, it's a big galaxy brain, like think tank. And so people are all engaging around it. And I think eventually, you know, it'll kind of die down, but right now it's basically like, um, I don't want to call it flavor of the month. Cause I think it does matter, but because it's so new to the industry, like people are just running with it. I think the best best ball analysis I've seen recently has been some of the stuff Hayden Winks over at Underdog has been showing just in terms of drafting. Like You just really aren't doing yourself any favors when you're heavily reaching on ADP pretty much at any point in the draft, and especially so if you have any sort of confidence in that player potentially coming back to you. So, hey, it's a variable. I'm here to you know try to find all the pieces of the puzzle possible. Again, Dwayne and I, this is the year we're hoping to hit every single player perfectly ranked, you know, one through 300. We, we got it, Dwayne. This is the year. If we don't get it this year, we'll try even harder uh, next year. So I'm not completely putting it out, but to suggest that, you know, Bills, Bengals, or Broncos, Chiefs has any better shootout probability than Rams, Chargers, or Vikings Packers or some of these other games, man. I think you could argue Rams Pack Rams Chargers should be the game we're looking for. Well, because to, of the to be fair, I don't, I don't, I don't think people are saying just to load up on the other games. I think it's about loading up on as many. So, like the way I did it yesterday when I was drafting, I didn't just focus on any one game. I focused on four teams that I really, based on the way I knew that my draft could start by players that I already wanted anyway. Um, but looking at Denver, the Rams, the Chargers, and the Packers, all have great matchups all of the last three games. So you're trying to advance each round an underdog. And over on FFPC, it's just a three-week point race. And so then I had a next tier of teams that I thought had two really good games that could shoot out out of the final three, right? And then my last tier was the, you know, the teams that had one good game in that. Now, to your point, like it's not going to work out perfect. But overall, like I'm, I would rather take, you know, the good offenses versus the good offenses, the good quarterbacks versus the good quarterbacks. But again, it's more of a tiebreaker thing um, versus building your whole team out o- around that concept. We're still in a 400 player field once we get to week 17. It's not like it's a one on one. 
How about this for a Galaxy Brain idea, Dwayne? We should be targeting the worst matchups, thinking that everyone that gets to Week 17 was targeting the best matchups. So actually, the way to get contrarian is to be targeting the games that are implied lower in Week 17. How about that? But before I just piss off any remaining Texans fans, viewers, let's get back to our regularly (laughs) scheduled content with some good news. Brandon Cooks, every year we have one good guy to talk about, at least for the last two years, one good guy to talk about in this Texans offense. His name is Brandon Cooks. We have only seen him look even somewhat average twice in his career. So 2014, PPR wide receiver 56, got hurt, only played 10 games. 2015, wide receiver 14, then wide receiver 10. 15, 13, 2019 drops down to wide receiver 61 with the bad version of Jared Goff. Also only played 14 games. Comes back the last two years with wide receiver 17 and most recently wide receiver 20 finishes. The idea that he's like he kind of gets the injuries uh, prone tag thrown around on him. Again, those years, 2014 and 2019, only times in his career that he failed to play at least 15 games. Concussion history is scary, but man, if we're just not drafting him because of that, I don't know. Sure seems baked into his ADP already and has been for years. And really last year, I would have been okay being out on him because of the terrible state of the offense and the reality that we had only seen him play with Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson. Uh, yeah, just one amazing quarterback after another. And obviously, yeah. Uh, so keeping that in mind, and also the good version of Jared Goff. That's what I was trying to get out of my freaking mouth there. So now... Davis Mills will be there. We saw good things from Brandon Cooks. Top 10 marks in target share. He was 10th, 26%. And air yard share, he was 6th at 37%. Texans paid him with a two-year deal worth $39.6 million. He's the 11th highest paid wide receiver in the league. Dwayne, he's never being priced basically inside the top 30 wide receivers. Again, the biggest competition for targets, John Mechie. I think he should almost be expected to start the year on the pup. At a minimum, wouldn't expect him to be at full health by week one. What are our thoughts on Brandon Cooks going right there in that firm wide receiver three range where he always seems to go? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Cooks is actually kind of transforming. Um, like, it's, it's in his keeping his value up. Before, like, we kind of always thought of Cooks, you know, is really more of this big play guy, right? The, the yeah. 15 and 16.7, 15.1 yards per reception. Um, always a solid yak player, never like great, but you know, a lot of times his A dot would be further down the field, et cetera. Now, like that's coming down over the last three years, his A dot has gone from 14 and a half to 12 and a half and 11.1, but his targets per route run did something you rarely ever see. Um, he's been basically an 18 to 20% player his whole career. And last year he jumped to 25%. So for you, Amari Cooper truthers out there, there there's hope. There, there, you know, you could always point to Brennan Cooks as the outlier. And so really the way he came through last year was really on, you know, his, his targets went up. So his adjusted target share for the season, he only played 16 games, 25%. That was also a career high. Um, you already hit on the yards per route run stuff. But I mean, look, you're just looking at a player that, I mean, throughout 2019, his last year, you know, with the Rams where he only played 14 games, and he was in and out of the lineups. He finished 62nd. In fantasy and PPR fantasy points that year, but his finishes, you know, since 2015, 14, 10, 15, 13, 17, and he finished 20th last season, you know, 14 and a half points per game in a PPR format. So yeah, I mean, Brandon Cooks like is as stable as they come. He's only going to be 29 years old this year. Like he is in the range, like where the fall off can happen really fast. Like 29 is kind of where that starts. But usually it's 30, 31 years old before you really see the deterioration start to hit. So yeah, I think Cooks is fine this season. 
Okay, so with Cooks, I have him ranked as my wide receiver 29. His ADP is at wide receiver 30 and underdogs, so just a little bit ahead of consensus. Have him ahead of Elijah Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown, Darnell Mooney, and then the rookies have him behind Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, Rashad Bateman. So, you know, basically, I'm okay with Brandon Cooks as the number one wide receiver, taking him ahead of number two potential 1A, 1B guys that are not also in not good offenses, but I'm taking the Thielens, the Robinsons of the world that are also number two but in better offenses ahead of Brandon Cooks. Where are you falling on him, Join? Yeah, I've got him 33 right now versus FFPC at 27. Thanks to Fantasy Mojo, we've got Underdog right at 30. So I'm, I've got him right in that tier. I've got him. I've got Hopkins, Allen Robinson, Amari Cooper, and Brandon Cooks all in the same tier. Um, so, I mean, they're all somewhere between 29 and 30 years old. Um, I, like, I'm fine with them. Like, but I'm taking, like, guys that I have ranked ahead of Brandon Cooks. Like, I'm, I'm taking some of the upside players above, like, guys that are still ascending in their career. Like, Elijah Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown, Gabriel Davis, Drake London, Darnell Mooney. I have all those guys, you know, in the tier right in front of Brandon Cooks. But any, they're all tier three receivers. So, yeah. if someone looks at that and they're like, man, I don't freaking want, you know, Darnell Mooney. I'd rather have Brandon Cooks. That's fine. I mean, that's totally fine. Um, you know, just when I'm leveling the playing field against with all these things, you know, what I'm trying to do is also account for, you know, the age curves and Brandon cooks is definitely on the back end of it. Right. It could start, it could start to go down at any time. You know, the flip side to that is these other young guys, any one of them could just not break out at all. Right. And they could never even be as good as Brandon cooks. So, I mean, you can talk, you can, you could argue it either way, but I, I love him as a wide receiver three. I think if you draft him, you can feel pretty confident, right, that you're going to bank somewhere between 13 to 15 PPR points per week, which as a wide receiver three, man, that's not bad. And he still can give you the big games as well. And he's got a pretty good floor every single week. So I, I, I'm fine with drafting, drafting Brandon Cooks. He's not a guy I'm going out of my way for, but I have no problem um, hitting the select button. Good way of putting it, sir. Again, these other wide receivers, John Mechie, Nico Collins, Chris Conley, Chris Moore, and Philip Dorsett filling out the offense. I have Mechie, wide receiver 63, Nico, wide receiver 92. Just not guys that I'm really looking to get a ton of exposure to. If we could get some words on Mechie's recovery from the ACL, and if he's ahead of schedule, that'd be great. He is going wide receiver 82 on underdog, so I am a bit higher than consensus. Again, more so just because of that second round price tag. Same thing with Alec Pierce. Like, let's reward the guys for actually being picked a lot higher than people thought they would. Clearly, the NFL is higher on them than fantasy analysts, which, hey, whose opinion do you think ultimately matters more? Probably the NFL. Are you really going out of your way, though, to get Mechie or Nico Collins, Dwayne? It seems like if there was ever an offense, probably only capable of enabling one super fantasy relevant player might just be this Texans passing game. Yeah, I like Mechie and Nico Collins as, you know, they're, I have them both in tier 7A, you know, so that's basically all the, the younger guys, like it's David Bell, John Mechie, Jalen Tolbert, Josh Palmer, LaVisca Chenault, Nico Collins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, like, so all right there you together. You got that high? And I'm, yeah, I'm fine mixing in all oh. of those guys. I mean, well, Visca's at 82. We say that high. At some point, I'm just looking at, you know, a player that's flashed anything from a talent perspective before, which Visca actually has. Um, He's returning kicks the now, Dwayne. The CPAT yeah. legacy. No, I, I, yeah, I did see that. The returning kicks is not a good, is not a good thing. <laughs> That's true, not good. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, typically, you know, if you're returning kicks, you're that means you're probably wide receiver four, right? You're not going to be on the field all the time. But again, we're getting way down here. I mean, like, um, so it's like it's like I'm still going to take Visca over AJ Green, right? I'm still going to take Visca, you know, over over Paris Campbell. There's not a lot of guys that I really have below him, but um, 
you know, his, his, he has flashed a little bit of talent, but anyway, like uh, as far as Mechie, as far as Collins, yeah, I'm like you, it's like they're, they're not priorities for me, but if I'm in a deeper draft, like a lot of these FFPC drafts, you know, you're drafting for 20 rounds, you know, so, you know, these are guys that are going to, you're going to take in round 16 and 17 if you're in a deeper format. And I do like them um, for that type of format. Tight end. We got Brevin Jordan, Farrell Brown, Anthony Auclair, and Tegan Quinteriano mentioned Jordan Akins being out of the picture. For years, it was Jordan Akins and Darren Fells, basically two tight end committee alongside Deshaun Watson. We'd see them kind of combine for a lot of production, but trying to predict who was going to be during each and given each uh, and every week proved to be pretty difficult. Last year, it only got harder. I mean, Farrell Brown led the Texans tight ends with 34 targets, and he was the most used option in terms of snaps, 56.8% on the year. Dwayne, we talk about two tight end committees being a problem. The Texans look once again ready to be using three or four. Maybe Brevin Jordan is that guy, but man, I, I like the college dominator too. I see the breakout age. Like he did a lot of good things at Miami very early on in his career. The guy had 178 yards in nine games last year. Like, is this really, why are we going to take Brevin Jordan over someone like Evan Ingram, who has actually, now even though it's been a while, Worked as a tight end one, three straight years actually in terms of PPR points per game, and he's now he's getting paid for it versus someone like Brevin Jordan who, yeah, he's dirt cheap, and by that logic, you can always say, oh, he's so cheap, why not throw a dart at him, but it's him versus kind of Evan Ingram to me when you're at those bottom stages of the draft. You can throw Austin Hooper in there, a couple other guys. To me, I'm prioritizing Evan Ingram as the cheapest tight end I want anything to do with. My number three tight end in best ball, like, this is a bad. This is a bad uh, kind of group of qualifiers I'm giving him. If you're in your one redraft league, you know you're not drafting any of these tight ends. But do you think Brevin Jordan is worthy, Dwayne, of being that third tight end on best ball teams that you know basically ignored the position for the first ten rounds? Maybe didn't get a chance to get Gronk. Yeah, I think it's fine to to have him as your third tight end. Um, but again, look, I mean, you've already qualified it. He's your third tight end, right? You know, I'm going to spread my bets out across a lot of these guys and Brevin Jordan will be included. Evan Ingram will be included. Austin Hooper will have a little bit like, I'm not going to say never really to any of them. Um, just because like, there's a reason we have them graded so low. <laughs> it's, it's because we're not really that confident, like in how good they're going to be. So I, I think it's kind of funny. Like when people want to put a stake, like in the ground on their tight end that they have ranked like 27th, like I'm all in on, I'm like, well, then why is he 27? you know in your ranks like like he was really better than that you know he would be ranked you know up like around 15 and then you can make your argument around him but like for these guys that i've got ranked between like 25 and 30 you know i'm just gonna mix it up hopefully i'm not in a lot of situations where you know i need to use them but if i do take my first tight end late um like say maybe i don't get a tight end until albert O, who i love his underlying profile but i know there's questions and then maybe i come back and i grab like a, a tyler higby to try to steady the ship then on that kind of roster, I don't mind throwing a dart at a Brevin Jordan. I, I don't mind if it's Evan Ingram, Evan Ingram either. Um, my, my struggle with the Texans, you know, as we sit here and talk about them, is just I don't know how much of the history is really going to continue to play forward. Like, so on one hand, I do look at the talent across the team and think, wow, like what is there really to change it from just being a muddled mess? Right. But at the same time, like the coaching staff, you know, the, the team, the guys that were really running all this and pushing this stuff, you know, they're not there. You know, so yeah, we have Pep Hamilton returning, but I don't know that he's going to stick with that much of a committee. We don't have as many, you know, tight ends there. Um, so yeah, I'm fine with Brevin Jordan. I do like him better in managed leagues, um, in deep managed leagues like FFPC tight end premium, where I can take him like in the 20th round. If he doesn't do something in the first couple of weeks, I can cut him. Like I like him a lot better in that format than I do in best ball. Fifth round pick. 
I'm, I'm, I'm not drafting Brevin Jordan probably once this entire year. I'll say it. I'm, I think Evan Ingram is objectively in a tier above Brevin Jordan. And I know I have Ingram ranked 20th, but I have Jordan ranked 29th. And I think uh, at that point in the draft, like, we just need so many things to go right. For someone that at 22 years old, I mean, I just he didn't even play 60% of the snaps in the game last year. I mean, expecting him to just take the sleep forward, get the full-time role, and then demand target share in a crappy offense. Sorry, Bre- sorry, Brevin. I know no one's really yeah, ranking I, him. I have Brevin either. ranked one spot ahead of Evan Ingram, so I'm the opposite of you. And I at that really draft, yeah. But what it, happened? Look, to, I, what happened to past first round talents? Yeah, I mean, past first round talents for a guy that sucked for four years in a row. Like, four years. I mean, I don't know. Ev- he was tight. For, in, he was tight in four, tight in seven, tight in seven, and then Jason Garrett came. So yards per route run: one point eight three to one point five nine to one point two eight to point eight nine. Receiving grade went down from seventy five point seven to sixty seven to sixty one to fifty five. Targets per route run have also done the same thing. So I mean, Evan Ingram just has been a deteriorating player. I'm not saying that he can't bounce back, but I would rather take honestly. I would rather take a stab on a guy like Brevin Jordan. I have them right next to each other in my ranks. Um, I have Taysom Hill above both of them, just in case he plays quarterback. <laughs> but like, if I'm taking, you know, Evan Ingram, you know, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, he is a he is a former first round talent, but he's like Juju. Like everything, everything has been bad for the last four years. No, not even able to stabilize anything, much less like keep it from going down. So with me nine with Jordan, I, I mean nine, nine I, I don't care for one year. Like that's just what teams do, you know. So that's I mean, top twelve highest paid tight end in the league for one year. For that one seems, year, I don't care. Yeah, that's all we're talking care. about for one year. We're but, not talking dynasty. I, yeah, but I don't care about one year deals. Like that doesn't make me think that anybody really likes Evan Ingram. What that tells me is he couldn't really get the deal he wanted. And he's just trying to prove himself. Like he found one team that was willing to say, "Look, we're not going to commit to you long term." but we'll pay you this much to get you to come here for one year. You get a chance to prove it. Right. And that's what he's going to have the chance to do. But I don't, my hopes aren't high for Evan Ingram. You know um, it's again, I have him in the same range. I get why you have him where you have him. um, But I'd rather take a shot on a 22 year old. And Dynasty, fine. We're not talking Dynasty right now. I'm not now. talking about Dynasty, I'm talking sir. I'm talking and about And look, redraft. people, it is possible to have an entire conversation about Evan Ingram and not bring up the Doug Peterson tight end whisperer status because, you know what, I think maybe Doug Peterson, call him, he won a Super Bowl, great coach. Whatever you want to say about him as a coach, you know, go ahead. Okay, I think Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz had a little bit more to do with putting up those numbers than anything Doug Peterson was putting there in the game plan. I'm not so sure Travis Kelsey ever needed a scheme to make him one of the best tight ends of all time. And Zach Ertz, to his credit, was putting up some pretty bonkers numbers for a few years as well. So, to recap. Who's saying this? This is like going on somewhere? What? Just I mean, no, it's fact. I mean, Doug Peterson, you look at his tight end finishes and... Oh, I, but I thought someone was making the case that he turned all those players into who they were. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just, okay. you know, I'm just barking over here as, as usual. But okay. <laughs> Quarterback Davis Mills, just someone that needs so much to go right for him. And the best case scenario is prop like if everything that we were talking about goes right for Davis Mills, is he even going to finish as a top 12 QB? Probably not. His ceiling is as that cousin's car type. And I just do not think he has much of a pathway to get there. Was objectively bad last year, despite being the second best rookie quarterback, largely out on Davis Mills, except for if you want to throw a dart as your third quarterback, already with a couple Texans on the roster. Running back, Dwayne's a little bit higher on Damian Pierce because he wants to play Dynasty and redraft with all these youngins. I'm just kidding, Dwayne. Dwayne's about to throw a freaking bottle through his uh, computer screen at me. This is some of the heat, oh, some I, of the most I, heat I, we've I, ever I, got going, Yeah, Dwayne. and we're, we're talking about a crappy team. 
<laughs> Sorry Damian, to Texans. Damian Sorry to Texans fans. I live in Texas. So, like, look, Cowboys are number one for me. But if I had to root for someone in the AFC and the Texans were good, like, I would root for them. So there's nothing I have against the Texans. They're, they're from my state. I like how it's Damian Pierce and Brevin Jordan that really gets us going at each other's throats for the first time ever. But yes, Damian Pierce, okay, in that range. No, it's the tight ends, Ian. We do it with tight ends. Yes, it's true. I'm also just, uh, you know, I'm more skeptical about Dwayne about Pierce's total best-case scenario, but I will admit he does have that theoretical three-down ability in a wide-open backfield, not the worst guy to be throwing a dart at in those later rounds. In terms of wide receiver, Brandon Cooks, once again, firmly in that wide receiver three conversation, sure seems capable of beating his ADP for what seems like the 60th straight year. Otherwise, John Mechie, and to a lesser extent, Nico Collins, not much more than later round darts, and at tight end. Oh my goodness, at tight end. Let's just go through the whole argument again. Basically, Dwayne is taking Brevin Jordan ahead of Evan Ingram. I am not. But for all of you out there that are probably just in a one or two, you know, traditional redraft one tight end leagues, there's a good chance neither of these guys will <laughs> even be in consideration for you for the entire season. So, like, with these guys, though, Dwayne, I don't, if you want to use, like, if you have no tight end, I will just say this. But both Brevin Jordan and Evan Ingram, like, we need to see what the week one route is. If Jordan or Ingram are running a route on like 80% or more of the dropbacks, like they're going to be at the top of the tight end, uh, you know, like waiver wire going into week two. To be fair, both of them seem to have that opportunity. So they're in that tier. I'll begrudgingly admit that, you know, someone can go ahead and rank Jordan ahead of Ingram. And I won't be that mean about it. But personally, Dwayne, I am going to take Ingram over Brevin Jordan. Not that anyone even asked what I thought about Evan Ingram before we started this conversation. Can you tell that I just finished writing about the Jaguars before we started this <laughs> podcast? Okay, though, does that summary about tie up everything we want to say about the Houston Texans? No, I, I think that's perfect. Actually, yes, I should say yes, <laughs> not no. <laughs> I'm just trying to disagree with you again, Ian. No, I think it's good. Um, you know, for me, and again, on Pierce, it's also just about where he's going. Like, you're not, for, for a young player in an ambiguous backfield, you're not having to pay the normal price tag you would, you, you would, which would, you know, sneak up into the seventh. You know, and who knows, that could happen for Pierce. I'm definitely getting some exposure now because I think as, you know, the summer goes on, he is a guy that could rise up draft boards. We'll have to wait and see. Where, where did Michael Carter end up going? I'm trying to look it up right now. That, that, Last be, year? Yeah, because that'd be curious to me. It's not that yeah. dissimilar of a situation. No, it's a very similar situation. ADP is very similar. I want to say Carter's ADP was 408. Pierce's ADP was, or not ADP, his, uh, sorry, uh, 108 was Carter's draft capital last year. I want to say, um, which was an early fourth round pick. And I want to say Pierce's is right there by that, um, within a pick or two of that. And so where, where they were, uh, Carter ended up going last year, and I'm trying to remember. Um, I want to say like he, pick 78 on ADP calculator, but that's not the best. Yeah, I'd there. have to pull it up. I, I know he snuck in like you know to the top eight nine rounds. It, it seems like he. I think he capped off like somewhere around like round eight. Um, but but like some people that do a lot of film work on Twitter like really pumped him up with his receiving skills, and that's when it kind of started jumping off. Um, and he was, he really was good. Those people were correct. <laughs> He's a really good receiver. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I think that's the cap. I don't think any player that's drafted in the fourth round, you're going to see, you know, probably unless like just every report is glowing. We did say Antonio Gibson, you know, basically as a third round pick, you know, going from being an eighth or a ninth round pick, you know, actually if you were drafting in May that year, you would have been getting Antonio Gibson like round 15. Then by the time we got to August, he was around eight pick. By the time we got to September of the weekend before the season started, 
AP you know, which cut. you had eight, eight yeah. AP got cut. Like you're talking third, fourth round pick. So I don't think that path is going to be there for Pierce. But I mean, I think he could sneak up into the seventh round. And right now you can get him in the 10th. So if you're going to draft all summer, like now's probably a good time to draft Pierce. Because um, I don't see him sliding much, given, given the, uh, unless they were to sign someone else, which I don't think they'll do. Regardless of when you are holding your in-person fantasy football draft party this year, you need to check out Fandraft.com. It's a modern, digitalized version of those old sticker boards we used to use at our drafts. However, unlike those outdated sticker boards, Fandraft makes your fantasy draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as custom logos, draft clock, team walk-up songs, a streaming news ticker, all that and so much more. Sign up for a free trial at Fandraft.com when you're ready to order the pro account. Make sure you use promo code PFF to save 15% off your purchase. Again, that's Fandraft.com with code. PFF and also give a shout out to our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Dwayne and I are going to record a podcast right after this one using their lovely best ball service and maybe just enter their best ball mania tournament, which has $10 million in total prize money. And again, it's best ball. You just need to draft your team. That's it. No waivers, no trades, no in season management. Underdog gives you the best score each week of the season, the highest scores at the end of the year wins. So, seriously, people, if you not have an Underdog account, at any point you want to sign up for a fantasy account, this is your best bet to get that. Because for your first deposit, Underdog is going to match up to $100 when you sign up for promo code PFF. And if you play just 10 of those dollars, why would you d- deposit money and not play $10? I don't know, but just in case, play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF and you'll get that free PFF subscription. Best deal we have right now to get that free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to Underdog Fantasy or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF and draft your best ball menu a team today. Houston Texans, Dwayne, made through it. We got another exhilarating one coming up soon, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then I believe we are going to be on to the NFC South with a few better offenses next week. Great day to be great, man. I love this shit. Me too. Great day to be great. Now let's go draft some underdog. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. We're going to go draft some underdog. And I hope the rest of you have a fantastic day. Take care, everybody.